Welcome to The Good Life. I'm your host, Sean Murray. My guest today is Bob Cancalossi, the author of several books about journaling, most recently, Four Loops Learning, Reflection Points. Bob has been journaling for over 20 years. I talked to him about why he got started, what kept him going through the years, and how it's enhanced his life. He also talks about getting diagnosed three years ago with a very rare head and neck cancer and how journaling has helped him through that very trying ordeal and how it's changed his perspective on life. If you already journal daily, you'll love this conversation. And if you don't currently journal, look out because Bob just might inspire you to start. Stay with me as we talk about the power of reflection and how journaling can help us live the good life. My friends, I bring you Bob Concolasi. You're listening to The Good Life on the Real Time Podcast Network, where we explore the ideas, principles, and habits that help you live a meaningful, flourishing life. Join your host, Sean Murray, on a journey for the life well lived. Bob Cancolasi, welcome to The Good Life. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's wonderful to host you on the show. Thanks for being a guest. And I'm really looking forward to our conversation. You recently wrote and published a book called Four Loop Learning, Reflection Points. And it's about your over 20-year journey of daily journaling and how that's impacted your life. And journaling has always been a topic I've been fascinated with. I've dabbled in I think it's a wonderful tool to help on the journey of the good life, on our learning journey as we move through life. And I'm really excited to get your thoughts and wisdom and experience and perspective on on how to incorporate journaling into our lives. So Bob, let's start with how you got started. I mean, to do 20 years of journaling, it's I can't think of too many things in my life I've done every day for 20 plus years and and you've journaled. So talk about how you got started and and why and and you know how it's impacted you. Yeah, thank you, Sean. When I think back over 20 years, the defining moment for me was really around the most dangerous word in business that is 10 letters which is complacency. I was so afraid to not be relevant that I studied and I read and I listened and I took notes. And I was exposed to so many great things that I could not take it all in. It was just too much, too fast, I guess, for the brain that I was given. So I needed a process to capture the most important things and then go back and look at them over time. And it's really the drive for me was to always want to be relevant and having a current point of view of what was happening. That started it. And it's unbelievable that I'm actually on journal 85 of just continuing to do this. It's interesting that you number each journal and you've, I, th- I believe you have them cataloged because I saw a picture of, of all your journals kind of uh, on your bookshelf. Is that true? You've got each journal numbered and each one sequential. And, and is that an important part of how you journal? Not, not really. Um, you know, it all started with just writing on note cards. 
And then I uh, sort of graduated to moleskins. And then I went to just a regular store and bought a 250 page leather journal. And every single one of them, I would write the page number in it and then sort of my guidelines and instructions. And after doing that for about five years, I said, this is crazy. Why don't I just design a custom one? And that's what I did. And right now I'm actually on the fourth iteration of a custom journal because I keep on learning how to make them better and more relevant. So at the time you were working at GE, you had a 31-year career at GE and you worked in the areas of, I think, organization development and learning. And you mentioned that you were just taking a lot of information in and you wanted to capture that. So walk, walk us through what kind of information you're talking about, what kind of insights, and what would you write down in your journal? Yeah. So my, my method for recording was anything that inspired me or really motivated me because I was curious about what I just heard and what I just learned. And I wanted to go deeper to understand it almost like a second order iteration of understanding. And what I've learned throughout my career, if you really want to test yourself on how much you know something, try to teach it to someone else and then answer their questions on what you just taught them. There's a whole school of dynamics of how confident you can be of how well you know your subject matter when that happens. So I would record anything that I found valuable. And then over time, I found out the real magic for me was when I got to about 50 pages in a journal, I would go back and reread those 50 pages and then extract out of that the top four to five most important things. It was getting into that habit of trying to take a lot of information, narrowing it down to something really important, and then acting on the most important. Yeah, that's a really uh, interesting practice. And it's almost like the second derivative of journaling. If the first derivative is you saying, hey, there was an insight today, I want to capture it, and you're writing it down, every 50 days you're going back, or 50 pages, however you want to look at it, you're going back and saying, first of all, rereading that insight, which is helpful, a helpful reminder, and then trying to extract the most impactful or critical or important insight of the last 50 pages. And that became an important practice of really getting a lot out of this journaling. Is that right? Yes. And and Sean, well stated. And to just add to that a little bit, to me, the two dimensions are, what is your reflection when you're in the action? And then what is the reflection afterwards on your action? So after you did something, how do you think you did? Was there room for improvement? Or did you execute pretty well? I think just the act of continuing to look and reflect upon your actions every day really unlocks some incredible potential of how to do things better the next time. So what did you learn from from journaling? What what are the key benefits that kept you going? You know, from the early days when you started this and it was note cards and then moleskin and you're writing ideas down, you came up with this every 50 pages, go back and look, which I think is a great practice. But what kept you going? How did you continue this for over 20 years? Yeah. So, so as I've journaled, 
the one recurring truth that I kept on detecting is that leaders who are deliberately more reflective are profoundly more effective. No matter what kind of organizations they were in, and no matter where the companies were throughout the world. I found that leaders that would slow down, think deeper, mitigate the risks before they made the decisions, actually made better decisions. I like that saying, and you use the word deliberately reflective. It reminds me of Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers with the 10,000 Hours of Practice. And he describes something called deliberate practice, which you know we all think about practice. We go to the driving range to practice golf and I just start hitting balls and they're going left to right. And that's very different from when Tiger Woods or a professional golfer goes out to practice. They use something called deliberate practice, which is much more professional. It has a goal and everything. You're talking about deliberate reflection. I'm guessing that this is something that's maybe a higher order. You're taking reflection to the next level. Can you dig in on that? When you say taking it to the next level, I'm, I'm very humbled when I hear that because many times I don't know that I'm smart enough to truly understand second order thinking. I think I'm a first order thinking guy that just does it a lot. But what happens during the reflection is I find a very interesting thing occurs to me, which I refer to as my additive thinking. So let me, let me just give you an example of this. I always love the quote, content is king and context is the kingdom. And I reflected on that quote for years. And then through a journaling exercise one day, I said, that quote is missing something to take it to the next level. So I reviewed my notes and I have adapted that quote to now say the following, content is king, context is the kingdom, but collaboration around continuous customer value is the universe. Journaling allowed me to do that adaptation and then every one of the journals I create has dozens of examples like that. So you connected it to the customer value. You connected it to, especially as a business leader and a thinker, to how you deliver that value. Yes. And the kinds of content that you put into your journal daily, is it all about business insight? Is it about personal? Is there a mixture? How do you decide what you're going to write in a given day. Because I think this is something a lot of people get hung up on when they start to think about journaling. You know, you, you think, well, I want, to, I want to reflect on something. And do I reflect on my experience yesterday, the weather, the call I had with my mother, the conversation with my spouse, the interesting client interaction? I mean, what do I zero in on? How have you handled that? What have you learned? It's a really, it's another good question. What I have found for myself is... There's a continuum of how I actually use the journals. Sometimes I just use it as a checklist of what I need to do on a specific project. Most of the time, I use it in the collection of data. This is where I continue to keep learning and trying to fill my brain with with relevant things. So 
I'm always listening to podcasts. I'm watching YouTube videos. I read Business Week and Forbes and New York Times every week. I still love the hard print readings. And I try to extract out of that the most important things. But in my 85 journals, in the first 10 journals I've ever created, I actually used to carry around a personal journal and a professional journal. And then I realized it's crazy trying to carry around two journals when all of it's important. So I finally merged it and found that whether it's personal or professional, if it is something that I'm curious about, that resonates with me, inspired me, then it was going in that journal. And that's a uh, a good segue into your four loops, because in your book, Four Loop Learning, you talk about these four steps to reflection. And when I think about deliberate reflection, I think you you really flushed it out pretty well with those four steps. It's not just your average run-of-the-mill reflection or meditation. You've got some process to it. I'd like to go into each one so we can just get a better understanding of what these loops are and why you call them loops and so forth. And the first one is record, is recording, you know, and it sounds like you're recording insights and it could be personal, it could be professional, but if you if it triggers something in you and you're curious about it, you want to put it down. And that's the first step, getting the data down. Yes. So before we start with that one, let me just share with you the four loops is something that has been tried, true, and tested, and changed quite a few times throughout the years. I think what I have right now is something that works pretty good for me, and so much so, that's why I decided to share this process with others and write the two books about it. Now, with that being said, on the record, the reason I actually write in journals is because there's scientific evidence you have deeper memory linkages when you write it in cursively on a piece of paper versus typing it on a laptop. I record the the age-old tradition of journaling has really served me well because it helps me learn a lot deeper about it. On the recording, doesn't matter if it's personal, professional, it's anything that's relevant and important to you at this point in time in your life. I think there's something simple and it's helpful to just get it down on paper and not think about it too much. When I journal, I have been held up before thinking, is this profound enough? Is this interesting enough? It's just get it down, put it down on, if it's in your head, just put it down on in the journal and get it recorded. And I think that's just a nice, I don't know, rule of thumb to kind of get you going, get the get the pen moving, get the hand moving, get your thoughts down and get started and don't overthink it. So that's record. Let's, let's talk about the next step. It's reflect. What is it about reflect? You, you mentioned the, you know, going back and reflecting every 50 pages. Why do that? And what else is going on in reflect? Yeah. So for me, reflection is very important because it's based upon the adult learning principle of repeat to remember and remember to repeat, repeat to remember and remember to repeat. So in my journals, every 50 pages, I stop and reflect and I go back over those 50 pages and I try to pick out 
the gold nuggets that are in there. And then I do it again, another 50 pages, because typically my journals are 250 pages. So I do that exercise four times every journal. So typically I get five pretty good ideas every 50 pages. So that's times doing it four times. That's 20 ideas per journal. And then I go through those 20 and I extract out the most relevant one for where I am in my life and my goal. And that's the one I put into action, which ironically enough is the next loop. Okay. So there's a lot there that I just want to zero in on because you're talking about a 250 page journal. Every 50 pages, you're going back and reflecting, you're coming up with and drawing out four or five really good ideas. So over the course of 250 pages, we're talking about 20 or so ideas. Then you're extracting and prioritizing from those 20 down to one single idea that you're focusing on and putting in action. Is that right? One idea? That is correct. Okay. And, and then the other thing I wanted to share with you is when I go through each 50 pages to get those five, I then categorize them to hand. Is it something I did? Head. Is it something of how I thought or heart? Is it how I felt? Is it how I inspired someone or how someone inspired me. So I also do that every 50 pages because I find that to be very beneficial as well. So hand, head, and heart, and you're categorizing these ideas into hand, head, or heart, and that helps you figure out how you're going to implement it and categorize it and you know, everything sort of fits into one of those three categories in one way or another. It's, you probably yeah. want a balance, right? Yeah. And then Sean, with most of my mentees, they like me to name the situation that we're talking about. So when I give them the category, hey, that this is something about hand, how you get stuff done. I sort of give them a roadmap that that's the category we're in. Then we could drill down with specific leadership behaviors and ideas and thoughts and readings and all the supportive stuff a mentor does for their mentees to help them achieve their goals. That's great. And so you're down to this one idea that you really want to act on, and that's the third loop, act. So what what is it about act? It's obviously bigger than just, hey, go out and do it. So what happens in this loop? Yeah. So, so the act um, does quite a few things. One, it gives you a chance to test your say-do ratio. Hey, I, I say I'm going to act on this thing, but what do you really do? So that's the high level litmus test. Then when you act on the most important thing, you're focusing on the vital few, not the trivial many, because the higher people move in organizations, the greater degree of focus they have to have on the most important things. So like, I love I capture so many quotes in the journal. One that I love on acting is from Peter Drucker. And it's the problem with execution is not the absence of knowing what to do. It's the absence of doing it. And then, Sean, I laughed so hard because as I was looking at your performance newsletters, 
I read the one on Churchill, which is action this day. And I said, that's exactly what we're talking about, putting it into action today. Yeah, I love that practice that came out of Churchill's leadership during World War II, where it was really critical that things needed to get done. And and he made it very visible. And I actually was very fortunate to have Churchill's biographer come on the show and talk about that. So that that's a great connection. Yeah. Um, you know, Sean, an interesting thing too, just on Churchill, he was just one of many very influential people that journaled throughout their careers. Others are like Thomas Edison and Frank, Mark Twain, Madame Curie, Charles Darwin, Beethoven, Lewis and Clark. I mean, a lot of people use journaling to invent and create things for the betterment of mankind. Let's just take a quick detour and talk about that before we come back to the fourth loop. You mentioned in your book kind of an offhand comment that Leonardo da Vinci had an impact on you in getting started in journaling. What was it about da Vinci that inspired you? Yeah, so 500 years ago, between 1506 and 1510, he wrote the Codex Leicester. That's about 72 pages, and it was a rare glimpse into da Vinci's mind of sketches, diagrams, early iterations of ideas. And I was always fascinated by that and equally as fascinated in the old Indiana Jones movie with with his journal. I, I thought that was loaded with a lot of really cool things. Then I think the thing I got most excited about with Da Vinci is when Bill Gates bought the Codex Leicester for $30 million. I was like, that is absolutely incredible. Now, I'm not journaling to ever want to try to sell them like Da Vinci did. However, it is an awful lot of fun to take the learnings in the journal and share it with others to help them fulfill their ambitions. That's very gratifying work for me right now at this stage of my life. Well, Da Vinci is a really fascinating story, and he definitely inspired inspired me too. There was a wonderful biography of Da Vinci by Walter Isaacson just came out probably about five years ago. And I I read it when it came out. And Isaacson, who by the way, also biographied Benjamin Franklin and Steve Jobs. And maybe we could talk about Franklin too, but Isaacson in the book does a great job of talking about how important the journals were to Da Vinci's work, to his learning, to how he experienced the world and what an amazing human achievement they were. And it got me thinking about the importance of journaling too. So I'm, I'm, it's kind of an interesting connection there that you, that you were inspired by him. Yeah, there are so many times while I'm journaling, I realize how much I don't know. And it inspires me to be more curious and say, why, why, why? It's, it's interesting how it all ties together. Yeah. And I think there's something about that taking a pen to paper, you know, and that's what Da Vinci was doing. And we also did two podcasts on the Lewis and Clark expedition, which I will put a link up to both that episode and the one on Churchill. And we talked about, I had an expert on Lewis and Clark on the show, and we talked about the importance of journaling to Lewis and Clark's leadership on that expedition and what an amazing treasure of history we now have because they kept the journals. Yes. And also how accurate their journals were. 
when they did these satellite images of the cross-country trek that they had, I believe it was only off like less than a mile of doing it all by hand. Yeah, you're right. They were very accurate. And you know, one of the things about Lewis and Clark that is inspiring to me is that they were operating under very challenging conditions, very hot in the summer. They had to go through the trek through the winter. It was a multi-year expedition. So they experienced all kinds of weather, all kinds of fatigue, yet they seemed to journal just about every day. And I, I sometimes say to myself, well, if they could journal under those conditions and how exhausted they were at the end of the day, then I can take five or 10 minutes and write in my journal. That's a small bar to get over compared to what they were doing. Let's get back to the fourth loop. So we talked about record. That was loop one, getting it down on, on paper, getting the thoughts that were really inspiring. Then you mentioned reflect and going back and distilling the best ideas every 50 pages and, and coming up with that one idea over the course of an entire journal and then acting on it. So what's the fourth loop? What do we do at that point? Right. So the fourth loop is without a doubt my favorite loop, and that is taking the most relevant information that you recorded, that you reflected and you acted upon, and then you share that with others. And it's really under the philosophy of St. Francis of Assisi. It is in giving that we receive. I get so much satisfaction of taking content from the journals and giving it to other people to help them see things clearer, to unlock potential, and to actually fulfill their ambitions in a more expedited way. And the only thing I want to tell you is I just wish I knew earlier in my career the power behind giving to others versus trying to hoard knowledge and keep it to yourself. Maybe I did that because I was too insecure, not sure. But what I know right now, the more I freely give to others with no expectation at all of return, it's amazing. It comes back to me in good karma tenfold. Well, that's a great example of the power of giving, and it's very inspiring. You mentioned earlier in this um, interview that you've developed a custom journal. And I've had the opportunity to look at, I think, the latest iteration of the custom journal. And every few pages, you've got something that's a, kind of a reflection point. It's a prompt that gets the journaler to think about something. There's 27 of them, I believe. We don't have time to go through all of them, but maybe you could pick one or two that you think are really impactful that give the audience an idea of what these reflection points are. So the 27 reflection points are so critical, but two that I'd like to share with you that my mentees tell me really resonate with them. The first one is called VUCA to the third exponential. And let me explain what that is. There's the first VUCA, which was an army term from the 1980s, which is when you're in a tough situation, it's volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And if you're a leader in a company, that's the environment you live in every day. And that's why they hire you to solve problems and make decisions 
in that environment. But then as I've been studying leadership for over 30 years, I realized, well, a lot of that has to do with the IQ piece. There's a whole nother piece, which is the EQ piece, the emotional quotient. So I found out the leaders who are really effective also had another VUCA. They were vulnerable, they were unselfish, they were caring, and they were empathetic. And when I studied thousands of leaders throughout my career, I found that the leaders that had the hard VUCA and the soft VUCA actually produced better results than everybody else. So where it came to me, I was with the CEO of Ethiopia Airlines, and I was explaining this finding. And he laughed and said to me, Bob, there's a whole nother VUCA you're missing. And I said, what's that? He said, it's not V-U-C-A, it's V-U-K-A. And it's a Swahili term, which means to wake up. And bingo, it came so clear to me. My job as a leader is to help people wake up and understand they have to do both the hard side VUCA and the soft side VUCA if they want to be a great leader. So, so that was one of the first ones. <laughs> That's a great practice and a great reflection. There's another one as I was going through and observing your practices and, and thinking about making a few of them my own. There's one that you put down or that you encourage people to reflect on, which is our purpose or our calling. And you've got a great quote from, from Mark Twain. The quote is, the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you figure out why. That's such a great quote. Talk about that reflection point. You put it pretty early on in your journal. Or you asked people who are using these journals to think about it early on. Why is that so important? And, and, and how do you ask people to reflect on that? Yeah, um, I put it up early in the journal because it's of critical importance in defining what your leadership capabilities are. So let me just take a moment and say, you can call it your ambition, your purpose, your calling. Van Morrison, the singer calls it fire in the belly. Bruce Springsteen calls it what's your sword. Robin Williams in the Dead Poet Society called it what's your verse. I'm talking about the same thing here. What is your purpose all about? And what I found out, and this was substantiated in a Harvard Business Review study, a leader's most important job is to help their employees find their purpose. And when you are doing purpose-driven work, you totally are so absorbed in what you're doing, you almost lose a sense of time. And here's a great way to test it, is if someone loves what they're doing, you say, hey, you want to take a break and go for lunch? And they look at their watch and say, it's 3.30. They're just so wrapped up with what they're doing. And I believe if an organization can have the majority of their employees fulfilling their purpose, you have no competitors. No one can touch you when your employees will give their heart and soul to your company's mission. Yeah, when people feel personally aligned with the mission of the organization and they're really tapping into 
their passion and, and their ambition and why they get up in the morning. It's a really strong force. I think Nietzsche said it, a man with a why can overcome any how. And I truly believe that. Viktor Frankl used that quote in his, in his book, Man's Search for Meaning. Yeah, actually, you had that in, in one of your articles. And, and the other one, too, that I thought was really good, you mentioned Ulysses Simpson Grant in his 12 leadership lessons. His number one leadership lesson was find a profession where your passion meets your purpose. I knew when we were going to have this chat that this was going to be a hot topic because you've already mentioned it three times in your writings. Yeah, it's something that I think about a lot. And it's what's interesting is I can't say that I can articulate my purpose down to a sentence or two. And I don't think I'm alone and I'm not too worried about it because it's something that I'm circling around and I know the general vicinity and I, I will hit on it. And I think you mentioned it too uh, in your writing that it's a lot of people get hung up like, well, I don't know what my purpose is and I don't want to spend time thinking about it because it seems too, too vague. And and you sort of throw your hands up and move on and it's easier not to think about it. But I think it is important to think about it. Even if you don't have the answer today, that's okay. You're going to get there, If but yeah. you can't get there unless you put your time in. Yeah. And Sean, uh, in the custom journal I actually created, I have the question of what is your purpose listed two times in the beginning of the journal and at the end of the journal to see how much your purpose has changed. So I now have 35 journals where I have written my purpose twice. I've done it over 70 times. And my latest purpose that I will share with you the, the one that's in Journal 85 right now, my purpose is to use my God-given talents to serve others. That's wonderful. Where did that come from? What's driving that? How did you get to, to that conclusion? Yeah, a lot of it came from being diagnosed with this very rare head and neck cancer three years ago. Uh, all of a sudden, my sense of what was important to me and my life became very crystal clear. And I realized I have been so lucky to have had the experiences that I have, that now I'm in a position in my life, I wanna take the learnings and the thinking and those experiences and share them with as many people as I can to help them fulfill and have a good life. Wow, I love that purpose and you actually wrote down 15, I think, key lessons that you've learned from having to battle head and neck cancer, a very rare form of head and neck cancer. Can you share a little bit more about those lessons, maybe one or two that really stand out or that you get a lot of feedback on? What I'd like to do, if it's okay, is let me give you one from the head, heart, hand, uh, one from each category. So in the head, one of the lessons I learned going through the radiation, the surgeries, the chemo is be positive and let humor really help you heal. So if anybody's going through a tough time, I highly recommend they watch the movie Patch Adams by Robin Williams. It's just a it's a classic movie of how humor can actually help you heal and he actually teaches you the scientific reason behind it. Under the hand classification, one of the biggest lessons I learned 
is to cut people slack. We do not know the hidden burdens that everybody has in their lives right now. And I really believe during this COVID pandemic, burdens have doubled or tripled in, in quantity. It's just been such a tough, tough environment. So cut people slack. Realize that they might be having a tough time because I don't know anybody that raises a flag and says, hey, I'm having an issue today. Be nice to me. No, people just try to get through their day. And then the last one, which relates to the category of heart, is life is precious and short. Live every day to the fullest and don't take it for granted. So those are the three that I get the most comments on out of the 15. But it is amazing. Those 15 are the very last page in the book for that reason, because I want people to think about or hopefully suggest to them, what are your 15 bits of advice that you would give to others based upon your life experiences? Well, that last one that you mentioned really hit me. It's life is precious and short. So live every day to the fullest and take nothing for granted. One of the reasons, or maybe the reason I wanted to start the Good Life podcast is because I wanted to explore how to make sure I was doing everything I could to get the most out of each day and learn from the wisdom of others and apply it. And hopefully along the way, if people are listening in, they'll learn along with me and we'll go on this journey together. I also recently lost my father. I talked a little bit about it in the last podcast. And having experienced that death close up really forced me to think about what you're saying there in that lesson, Bob, about living every day to the fullest and not taking it for granted. And I'm guessing that you're facing mortality as you had to do very viscerally going through this cancer really brought that to the forefront. Can you talk about that? Yeah, Sean, first of all, I I just want to say I'm sorry to hear about your dad. Um, What one guiding light that I could share with you on that is I love the quote from the musical artist Sting. He says, inside every new leaf is the pattern of an older tree. Your dad's legacy is in you. Uh, What you're doing right now would make your dad so proud that you're helping others. And I think similar to me, if what you do just helps one person live a little bit easier, a better life, then you are doing the work of the angels. So I just want to tell you, good job. Thanks for that, Bob. I appreciate that. Can you come back and re-ask the question? (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I was asking about the impact that your cancer and really having to face mortality had on that quote about taking things for granted and feeling when you wake up in the morning that you have another day and you're going to make the most of it. Yeah, it it has me in major pay it forward mode. So I am so grateful for all the doctors. I mean, my my initial cancer surgery was a 12-hour surgery with four doctors followed by 30 days in ICU. It was a horrendous experience. But I'm here doing a podcast with you right now because of them. And I'm so grateful. And I want to pay it back to them. So to answer your question very specifically, 
on my website, I just created something which is called the Mending Crooked Smile Fund. And it's a fund to try to help others with head and neck cancer make their lives just a little bit easier for the incredible journey that they're going through. And I just recently used some of the donations to donate celebration bells so that when people complete their proton beam radiation, they could go ring the bell in celebration and say, I'm out of here. So I'm trying to do things to pay it forward and to give it back and to help others who may have this, this really challenging cancer. And for those in the audience who may be interested in your four loop learning book, Reflection Points, I understand the proceeds of that also go to, is it to that fund or to help those who have this form of cancer? Yes, they do. They, they go to that. And I just recently joined the Head and Neck Cancer Alliance as an ambassador, and they are communicating to me the kind of things that they need for head and neck cancer patients as well. So I've opened up this whole new door of how to help others, and it's pretty exciting. In closing, Bob, I was hoping we could talk about how to reach out to people who maybe haven't tried journaling before. And I'm thinking about a few people in my life. One of them are my two children. I have my son who's 17 and my daughter is almost 15. I have talked to them about journaling. I've encouraged them to journal. I can't say I've been successful in motivating them enough to start to do it, but it doesn't have to be to talking to our kids. It could be someone younger in our career, anyone who's out there listening who maybe has thought about journaling and just hasn't taken a step. What do you do when you encounter someone like that? How do you how do you talk about journaling in a way that maybe would nudge someone in that direction? The um, thing that I recommend to those that ask me similar question is to take the 30-day challenge. And what this is, you can use a note card, you could use a moleskin, you could even type it on your computer if you want. But for the next 30 days, either every morning when you get up or every night before you go to bed, stop for a minute, think about your day or the day before if you're doing it in the morning and just record what is the most important thing you learned that day that really resonated with you. And do that for 30 straight days, each one of them on its own separate card or its own separate page. Then on day 31, reread your 30, go one by one and classify them. Is it how I thought about something? That's head. Is it how I actually did something or someone else did something? That's hand. Or is it how I felt or how I inspired or how someone inspired me? That's heart. And tabulate your 30 responses to find out what your dominant H is. See what you really are. Are you a heart person? Do you like to make others feel good? Are you a hand person? Do you always need to get stuff done? Or are you a head person? Do you always need to think through the strategy and go really deep? And I have found for most people that I have given this advice to, after the 31st day, they do it. They say, I'm hooked. I learned something about myself that I never really would have picked up on if I did not do this. So that's the biggest 
piece of advice I would give to people to get started. Then if that resonates with you, take it to the next level. And if it doesn't resonate with you, well, say good job and try something else. Yeah. And maybe some point later in your life, you could try it again. I think journaling happens for people when it's the right place, right time for them. And I love that practice, the 30-day challenge, because it's it's doable. And the nice thing is it's really a habit. By the end of the 30 days, if they see that benefit, it's become a habit. And we all know how important habits are to living the good life and, and developing habits that contribute to our well-being. And it's, Sean, it's just doing it a little bit every day. There's a, another great quote I love by Robert Collier. It's, um, success is the sum of small efforts repeated day in and day out. So imagine you just journal 10 minutes a day and you do that for a year. You might be surprised how much you learn about yourself or learn about others. That's what got me hooked. I love to journal. I actually journal close to two and a half hours every day. That's why I'm halfway done with journal 85. Well, the 10 minutes is something that we all have time for. It's very digestible. When I think about the amount of time we stare at our phones and we're just taking in information, and a lot of it is the junk food of information, let's face it, to convert 10 of those minutes into reflection is not a huge price to pay. But over the course of a year, I bet there would be a lot of insight and knowledge and wisdom that would build up. And it's just 10 minutes. So it seems very doable, Bob. Yeah. And Sean, there's ways that you could nest it, which I call the force multiplier. So for example, due to the proton beam radiation, it nicked part of my cerebellum. So my balance is off. So I do yoga every morning with my wife. And during that yoga time, which we practice meditation, I can't even tell you the ideas bouncing in my head that I can't wait for yoga to be over so I could start recording in the journal. It all fits together. I'm getting the physical benefit of yoga while I'm feeding my brain with the nutrition of the journal content. Well, where can people find out more about you and get some of this nutrition uh, for their life? Yeah, the, um, the thing that I did and I'm, I'm really proud of is all of the products that have been created. So the, the two books that I wrote and published while undergoing the cancer treatment, the leadership custom journal, uh, the kit that has the guidebook. And now I'm launching something which is called a for loop learning backpack for companies that are having retreats that want to get all the leadership reflection tools in one kit. I'm pulling that together for them. They are all available on my website at loop learning.com. And I would be so grateful if anyone is interested in donating to help head and neck cancer patients. The top right side of the website has a Mending Crooked Smile Fund. Donations are most welcome. Well, Bob, this has been a wonderful conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for being on The Good Life. Thank you so much. I really appreciate our time together and getting to know you. Thanks for listening to the Good Life Podcast. If you liked the show, please subscribe, provide a review in Apple or Spotify, and visit our website at seanpmurray.net. 
Until next time, have a wonderful week.